Hey, Christ the Redeemer family, it's Father Chris Culpepper, the rector of this parish, and um, this week, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we are without the wonderful teaching of Father Mark for our youth ministry portion. So, uh, moms and dads, parents, whoever's watching that has junior high and senior high kids, uh, feel free to access this teaching and, and use it for your youth, um, your students, and uh, otherwise um, use it on your own and feel free to pass it along to family and friends as the Lord may lead you. Um, this is meant for us, but it's also meant for the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world. So thank you for giving your attention to this teaching time, and let's go ahead and begin. Um, as has become habit and custom, we'll start with a review of last week. We will break to allow you to do the study, and then I'll come back with some things to say toward the end. So last week we explored uh, what's known as the Exodus era or the Exodus narrative or the Exodus story. And we talked about how this story is the major motif for the Old Testament and how this story is the setup for the salvation story in the New Testament that is completed and culminated in Jesus Christ our Lord. We remembered last week the pattern of our salvation history that we see established in the Old Covenant that is creation, fall, judgment, mercy, and new creation. And we explored some other significant elements of the Exodus story as well. Uh, we talked about the continuation of covenant theology, which we'll see again this week. We talked about the establishment of worship, how God is very specific and intentional in telling his people how to worship him over and against the atrocities committed by people worshiping foreign gods, the way the ways that we can make up worship, so to speak, when, when we're off course or off path. We introduced an archetypal type of image between law and grace. We acknowledge that Moses, who represents the law, who in a sense is a giver of the law in the Old Testament, the law was insufficient and not able to get people into the promised land. And that's where we introduced at the end of last week this figure, this character named Joshua, whose name indeed means to save and we find that it is Joshua who will complete this first part of this journey. So today, here we stand, literally and spiritually, on the cusp of a climactic moment in the story. God has shown himself faithful to his promises. He has delivered his people from physical slavery in Egypt. So let me rehearse the story. Let me invite you as much as possible to try to step into the shoes of these ancient Israelites as we observe God performing in the Exodus narrative many signs and wonders in the sight of Pharaoh. We see God establishing the Passover meal that is a prefiguring of the Christ event itself. We see how God causes the water to stand up like walls as he delivers the Israelites through the Red Sea. We see God establish another major covenant through Moses by giving the divine law that we know as the Ten Commandments. We see God causing the Israelites to wander in the desert for 40 years for a generation when they sinned against him and rebelled against him in the desert. And now we see that God has led them up to the edge of the land that he has promised to them. Moses describes that land in this way for the people in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So I just want to read this chapter because it's such a, a compelling image on the precipice of where God was taking them. And I think we'll find it edifying as well. From Deuteronomy chapter 8, the whole commandment that I give to you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the swore to, that God swore to give to your fathers. 
And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget, that the, Lord your, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and lest your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with fire, fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you to water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do good to you in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember that the Lord your God, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord God made to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Imagine Moses with the Israelites standing on the other side of the Jordan about to enter into the land. And then God raises up this Joshua figure. But it's not that God is just going to do it for them. He's going to do it with them. He's going to do it through them. Indeed, God is going to do the operative work of salvation, but the people must respond with the cooperative work of faith. So now we pause. I invite you to read the book of Joshua, so rich in its story of who God is and how he loves us. And I invite you to complete your chapter so that you can continue the narrative in our book. So let's pause the video here, go and do your work, and I'll come back afterwards. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed working your way through the book, through the teaching of uh, Joshua, the, the book of Joshua, the conquest era. So we'll do a little bit of a summary, and then we'll do a little bit of supplemental teaching. Um, beginning with the summary, you should have completed your next major thematic sentence. That sentence, as you did in your study, says Joshua leads the conquest of the promised land. Joshua leads the conquest of the promised land. 
And after that sentence, you should have um, seen the four major sections of the chapter. We'll talk about those a little bit. First, there is the miraculous parting of the waters at the Jordan River. This, of course, marks the Israelites' entrance into the Promised Land. We also know that it sort of looks back to the deliverance of the Israelites in the Exodus story as they crossed through the Red Sea. And for us as Christians, it also looks forward to everyone's deliverance through the waters of baptism. So that's the first section. Second, there is this miraculous conquest of a city called Jericho. For those of you who were on our last pilgrimage to Israel this last January, hard to believe it was that recent in these times, you will recall that we actually visited the city of Jericho. My impression of the city of Jericho is that it was actually a lot like the city of Juarez in the border of Mexico and Texas. I used to lead youth mission trips to Juarez back 15, 20 years ago where we would go build churches and go build houses. And um, Juarez and uh, Jericho seem to have the very common element of being a border town in the desert, if you know anything of what that's like. Well, as you know, also perhaps um, uh, the uh, city of Jericho is also one of the oldest cities in the world. And here really is the first test of the Israelites' faith and faithfulness. Now, I'm not going to give that away. You have to read the story for yourself. But I'll only suggest that when you do read that story, hopefully you'll see something of yourself in that story. And what I mean by that is the story becomes a very powerful invitation for each of us to explore the relationship on our own hearts between fear and faith. So if you have the opportunity to go back and read the story of Joshua, especially in these first chapters, you will really uh, see yourself in that way in that story and examining our own heart and our own understanding of fear and faith. Well, the third section in that chapter, of course, is the conquest and the defeat of the land called Canaan, the Canaanites, the military victory over the Canaanites, which is emblematic of the spiritual victory that accompanies it, right? Our God is stronger than your God. In fact, our God is the only true God. And finally, in the fourth section is the dominion and the settling of the land itself, where the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Israel fully and finally inhabit this promised land. And this is where we see the first major culmination of covenant theology. So let me kind of wrap all of that up with this little bit of supplemental teaching now. Let me point us back to God's covenant with Abraham. In God's covenant with Abraham, God established several principles that we now see coming to fruition. These are presence, people, progeny, property, and promise. Presence. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Of course, that leads us to people, the people from the Hebrew people to the Israelite people now emerging into the nation of Israel. So that's the second point. The third point is progeny. Of course, obviously, we've now moved from Abraham's immediate offspring to the 12 tribes of Israel as it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and now into Joshua and the, and the tribes. The fourth element, of course, is the property, the land of Canaan that God had promised Abraham long ago when Abraham traveled from the land of the Chaldeans in Ur to the land of Canaan that is now becoming the land or the nation of Israel. And that takes us to the fifth element, the last element of Abraham's covenant, which is the promise. Again, the conquest itself marks the first major fulfillment of God's covenant promise. 
So the last things that I'll say about that, it is through the covenants of God that we see the character of God, his goodness, his love, his justice, his mercy, his grace, his righteousness. And it's through the covenants of God that we see the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us, to create us, to redeem us, to sanctify us, all to prepare us for eternal life with him. So let's wrap all of that up into one quick final word. We are now into what we call the historical books of the Bible. So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch or the Torah. Penta meaning five, tuch, Pentateuch, uh, tuch meaning scroll or book. So that's where that word comes from. Torah meaning teaching or guide. So when you hear of the first five books of the Bible, you might hear those books called the Pentateuch, meaning first five books, or you might hear them called Torah, those five books being the law or the guide or the teaching. We've also said that those books are not ahistorical. That means they're not without history, but they are in a sense prehistoric. And what we mean by that is it's the time before the recorded history of Israel as a people and as a nation. If that's clear as mud, hit the rewind button and go back and listen to that some more. But with Joshua, now we enter the historical books. Joshua is the first book in the Old Testament that we would describe more strictly as an historical book. And what we mean by that, of course, is the, now the assembling and the ordering of the people of God. Now that he's called them through the desert and he's given them the law, how will that law work in the land that he's given to them? And that'll be the next section that we talk about. And of course, in the assembling and the ordering of the people comes the development of the nation of Israel itself. So stay tuned as the story continues next week with the era of the judges. Thank you for listening and God bless you this week.